0: Welcome to The Coaching Question. This is a podcast for people who want to know more about coaching, how and when to use it, and really what's it all about. Join me, Sarah Turner, and my colleague, Gregor Finley, two executive coaches, for an honest conversation. So, today, Gregor, we are talking about developmental coaching. And our question is, how does an understanding of a leader's developmental stage enhance or impact on their performance? And what change might that make to the coaching that you do? So my starting point here is trying to understand a little bit about what we mean when we say developmental coaching, because surely we think that all coaching is developmental. Yes,
1: it is. Um, But we have to have a label and developmental coaching seems to be the label we're we're stuck with. What we're talking about is a particular type of development, and that's got to do with developmental psychology. Okay. So it wouldn't be hugely academic and overly complex, but it's an extension of the original work done by Jean Piaget with children and when he made very clear the stages of capability that children go through in their development. But he thought that it all ended when we got to young adulthood. We thought we were fully formed. But as we know now, we can call something vertical development. It continues. You continue to develop different capabilities and capacities. So technically it's adult constructivist development, but vertical is just easier and accepted, even though it's got unhelpful connotations like higher is always better, but vertical adult development is what we might call it.
0: Okay. And so... As you know, I don't really know an awful lot about this concept, but it feels to me that a good place to start is thinking about what these developmental stages might be and why they matter. And I know we've talked about this quite a few times in our podcast, but we're living in this VUCA world, this um, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world. We've got the pandemic, we've got an unknown future, and our leaders are overloaded by complexity. And so companies at least and this is my experience, but I think companies are really desperate for leaders who are agile and resilient and adaptable and really comfortable with that uncertainty. And so the leadership development profile, which is um, essentially that the tool we're talking about here, it, it kind of has this position that adults evolve through predictable stages of mindset development. So a bit like Piaget with children, what we're saying with this is actually adults continue to develop and at each stage of development, they, they create or develop these new capacities to deal with complexity. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So research by McKinsey, it was Harvard Business Review, I think that there it was another Harvard Business Review publication and they confirmed that the difference between average and top performing leaders is radically amplified as the challenge becomes more and more complex. So, they said that exceptional leaders in even moderately complex environments outperform their average peers by 225%. I'm trying to put it in, in really simple terms. You're, you're interviewing two executives for a role that has to develop a complexity. You explain the challenge. One of them might say, Well, I know what's wrong, and I have a plan to get us back on track. It's simple, straightforward, we can act quickly. I've done it before, and I'll do it again. So, they're coming across as really confident they have the answer, et cetera. But actually what you need is a leader that says something more like, well, we don't know enough yet to have a plan. Now, given the amount of complexity involved, we'll never know everything, but hopefully we can get enough knowledge to plot a successful course. So it's careful and considered, not the confident safety, but you know that that leader is going to be more contemplative, more considered, and they're probably going to come up with a solution that engages the organisation to deal with the complexity.
0: And I hate to kind of get political here, but that just makes me think about COVID, (laughs) right? Exactly. If we think about where we were a year ago and how much more we know now than we did then, but even still, we don't know enough yet. Yeah. And so that's a really great example of the complex situation that we find ourselves in.
1: So it seems like, again, we don't want to get political, but if somebody's got a very ideological stance, which the British Prime Minister is at heart a libertarian, he just sort of can't help himself, always wanting to unlock. Um, but his advisors are telling him he, he needs to. It's more complex than that. Yeah, he's quite ideological on that front, and that would be in an earlier stage.
0: Okay, and um, what we're talking about here again, this is my limited understanding, is we use this word meaning making, right? And I heard David Rook describe it in this way he had he told this little story and I always like a story and he talked about having two children who are standing on top of a building and the youngest one looks over the edge and looks down at the street below and sees all these people busy you know off to work it's obviously pre-pandemic and the youngest child says oh look they're ants and then the older one, who's only a few years older, looks over the building, sees the same picture, sees the same uh, numbers of people running around the streets, but says, oh, they look like ants. And the difference is in the meaning that they attached to what they saw. And so if I understand this correctly, what we're talking about here is that's an example of two different types of developmental stages and the way in which you create meaning about the world around you. Is that right?
1: Yes, the meaning-making changes, the perspective changes. So one of the very concrete things he talked about was conservation of volume. So if you take the same volume of water and you put it in a low flat dish or a tall thin like beaker, and you ask a kid of a young age, you know, before nine, you say, which is more? They're always going to point to the highest one because they equate height to mean more. Yeah. And then the child will gain the capacity of conservation of volume, which is, I actually can look at them and see that that's actually the same volume, even though one is taller than the other. Yeah. And so if you put that at an organisational setting, so the L&D people probably know the difference. So single loop learning is basically, I know what the goal is. I can learn lots of ways to get to that single goal. But double loop learning is going to say, why do we want to reach that goal? Is that really the goal that we want to be heading for? Mm. Or do I really want to think about the context of the goal? So that would be double loop learning. So up to what we would call conventional stages, you're really focused on single loop learning. Double loop learning is something that comes later on. And that's something often as coaches, we're encouraging our clients to look at the why. Yeah. You know, and it's something we do naturally. So that's developmental, but we're not necessarily doing it in a developmental frame.
0: Yeah, okay. Now I know that this could be really tricky to understand because I know we've talked about this a lot, and I've only completed the LDP myself quite recently, so I understand it a lot more now than I did. But can you try and explain this to our listeners in a really simple way?
1: I'll try. (laughs) So one way of thinking about it is this horizontal development and vertical development. And one of the things I should say, just because someone is more capable, they have later stage capacities, it doesn't mean they're, they're a better person. You know, the teenager is, a 16-year-old is not better than a six-year-old. They've just got more capacities. Okay. Yeah? They're more flexible in their meaning making. So that's the first thing we really, really want to say. Mm-hmm. The horizontal development is like more skills to like achieve a goal. You know, I'm going to go on a training course. I'm going to get more coding skills, for example. That'd be a really good example of horizontal development. I get more coding skills, but the way I make meaning hasn't changed. Yeah. But if I'm doing vertical development, I am adapting my meaning making, my ability to take more complex perspectives. So if I'm coaching someone, look at someone at one stage is going to have difficulty saying no because it goes against their sort of social rule set. Then someone at the next might come over as very pedantic. They don't receive feedback very well. They struggle to delegate. And then the next, they might be able to delegate really well and take feedback, but they'll really want to explore their self-awareness. They'll be brilliant at developing strategies to achieve goals, but they'll, f- they'll really focus on, in on the what more than the why. And then at a later stage, then they're going to be thinking, and we're starting to get a bit rarer here, they'll be very curious as to the why. And they'll be extremely creative and innovative, but depending on the organization they're in, they may be accepted or rejected. Mm. You know, that creativity and, and questioning may be deemed, oh, that's great, that's really creative, or it may be deemed you're getting in the way.
0: Yeah, too much.
1: But they are likely to be able to see and lead the system to fully achieve the more creative ideas. So so probably really one of the latest stages we see in an organisation. They have a really light touch and they they not only see the complexity, they also perceive how to shift the system, not just a single thing, but shift the whole system to travel on a much more innovative pathway.
0: And just to clarify for our listeners, when we talk about a system we've talked about this in previous episodes but if you haven't listened uh, how very dare you firstly um in terms of a system <laughs> we're thinking you know an organization is just an example of a system so when you when you're talking at the very very latest stages of these developmental stages is that they're thinking not only what's happening within their role but they're seeing the complexity and they're looking at how can we shift the entire organization as opposed to working more individually is that right
1: yeah, because they're going to be thinking about the system, not only about them, but their customers, their supply chain. Yeah. You know, the, the, the impact it's having on the environment. So, like, if you're a concrete manufacturer at the moment, you know, your carbon, you know, you're really going to be affected on whether or not your government is going to put a charge on carbon. Yeah. You know, um, and so that goes back to that old SPET analysis, social, political, economic, and technological. That's a, quite a systemic way of looking at things.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I really like this idea of um, this horizontal development and vertical development. And I heard um, Professor Robert Keegan, he used quite a nice metaphor to illustrate this difference. So he talked about having a cup. And so when a leader goes into a horizontally focused leadership development program, the goal is about filling the cup with new information, knowledge and models. So that's a bit like your example of the coding skills. Yeah? Yeah. So we're filling up my cup. I'm gaining more knowledge.
1: Knowledge and skills.
0: Knowledge and skills, yeah. But a vertically focused intervention doesn't actually aim to fill the cup it wants to expand the cup because it's increasing the leader's capacity and so that way as a leader i can hold more complexity more uncertainty and and more perspectives so the important point here is that both forms of development are important and connected so great leadership development will aim to both fill the leader's mind horizontal and grow the leader's mind vertical
1: and one of the things that is so there's there's uh, a lady called uh, Antoinette Brax, and she's very keen on on really, like forcing people's vertical development, like you would force rhubarb. But if you think of like Jenga, you know, um, if you're building a tower and your lower levels are quite skinny, mm-hmm. and then you try and develop width at a later level, that tower is going to be really unsteady. Yeah you know, things that Jenga blocks have got to tumble down. So what we don't want to do is is go rapidly vertical if we haven't got the stability in the horizontal.
0: Oh, I really like that. Because I think, again, having completed the LDP really recently, I think there is, and this probably says more about me than anything else, but there is a sort of a desire to, I want to get to the next stage, I want to get to the next stage, right? And it's not necessarily about right or wrong in that sense. It's not that higher stage is, definite, is, is infinitely better. It's about getting the most out of where you are so that you are then ready to move on at the time that's right for you, which is your Jenga example.
1: Yeah, and, and what I was saying to you is the, the transition from the stage, your, your leading edge of development to that next stage, that can be a really, really challenging transition for people. Yeah. Um, depending on the organisation that they're in. So yeah, that, that's that's something I really want to help people with around that particular transition.
0: Yeah, and we're going to come on to that in a minute. Just, I mean, obviously we'll put some things into the show notes. There's lots of different ways in, pe- in which people can find out more about this model. What would be your your kind of top recommendations?
1: Well, I mean, the article that everybody refers to is the Harvard Business Review article, The Seven Transformations of Leadership by David Duke and William Torber. That was published in 2005, I think. And it's a really good example because it takes you through the different levels in a language set, but it gives examples of this is what the problem can be with these. Actually, I think it's a little bit negative in tone because it doesn't highlight as much as I would like the, the positives of each level. Mm-hmm. But what it's is first sentence is most developmental psychologists agree what differentiates leaders is not so much their philosophy of leadership but, or personality or their style of management, but it's their internal action logic. And they have that term, action logic. And it is basically your your ability to take different perspectives and, and the the logic of your actions. I think if you've got the time, I mean, it's, I think it's nine minutes long and it's probably quicker than reading the article. I love the simple video by David Rook that mm. explains the levels in the LDP. Um, and we've put the Vimeo link into the show notes. But it's a lovely little talk. It may not go into the detail that the Harvard Business Review article goes, but it really gives a nice definition of what those different actual logics are. The good news is that the action logics that show the consistent capacity to innovate and to, you know, transform organisations, that's actually doubled in the who own the LDP. They have a database over 10,000 leaders. And they're finding that those levels have doubled from 15% to 30% since 2005. So that's great news.
0: Why is that? Do we know?
1: Oh, why is it? That, well, I mean, society is developing all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about 3D perspective, I can't remember where that first came into art, but I think it was something like the 16th century or something like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Prior to that, paintings were flat. They didn't have a 3D perspective. Some artist is probably going to tell me I, I've got the century wrong, but you know, <laughs> what I'm saying is, is society is developing all the time. But because we're living in more and more of a VUCA world,
0: Right, okay. So it's what I, that's what I thought, yeah.
1: yeah. It's giving the heat experiences, you know, the, the really challenging experiences that are forcing people to really develop further vertically.
0: So even if I, you know, if we think about things like climate change and the challenge that that is presenting us globally and to organisations, you know, and we're having to do things differently think differently, we have no choice. So it's that vertical development, isn't it, to deal with that complexity?
1: And what, what tends to get called post-conventional thinking, it's got to do with duality. So um, quite often we'll get presented with stuff with coaches. Coaches come in and their challenge is this or that. Mm. And we, we may see that it's, it's non-dual. It's not this or that. It could be both or it could be something different.
0: Yeah.
1: So what people are doing is suddenly when they have to think about climate change as well as their business, Mm. They need to think of both of those things,
0: mm. and that's the complexity point.
1: Yeah, it's not one or the other. So the bad news is that the the most effective leadership that we really want CEOs to be at is label strategist. And um, I mean, clearly, the earlier levels can strategize, but it just happens with the label. It stubbornly remained under five percent of the management population. So David Rook really uses the example of if we've got two leadership teams of 10 people each, that means that only one of them, only one of those leadership teams is going to have one person in that's at a strategist level. I'm not sure if I quite agree with, with David Rook's sort of analysis there, but it just means that generally one more of this type of uh, perspective capacity in our CEOs and our executive teams, and that's what Ant- Antoinette Brax is on about.
0: And I think that um, I've got this right. That David Rook talked about um, about fifty five percent of executives tend to be at achiever level. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's really changed.
0: Right. Okay. I'm
1: um, I'm trying to um, I'm trying to scan down our notes to find where the, the percentages were, but an, an earlier level expert in two thousand five it was thirty eight percent. That's really reduced to thirteen percent. Okay. Achiever, which is a lot more exploration of self-awareness, but real goal focus, that's gone from 30% to 55%. And that's the feeder. That's the last conventional uh, stage. But the total of both is still at 68%. That's the amazing thing. So the conventional thinking has gone to a later stage, but it's still 68% of, of the management population. The first post-conventional stage has increased from ten percent to twenty-five percent, but a strategist is no change; it's still less than five percent.
0: So essentially, just to try and put this in layman's terms, because this is where we start, I start to get a bit lost. All the different names and the percentages. Yeah, don't worry about that. Essentially, I think what we're saying is that you know, in order to deal with the complexities that the world throws at leaders in organisations, because of all the things we've talked about and plenty of others, you know, we really need leaders to be able to handle that complexity and the and the higher levels indicate broader capacity to deal with that complexity. It doesn't mean it's always better, but it does mean, for example, Prime Minister right now, we probably would benefit from somebody at a higher developmental stage. Is that right?
1: But their intent would have to be right. So for the UK listeners, I mean Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings is, I think, at a later stage of development than the Prime Minister. Okay. But his intent is quite, in other areas, he's extremely dogmatic about certain things There's certain arrogance to him. But what you what can happen if people have uh, bad intent, they can quote some of those later stage stuff for ill.
0: Right, okay, you know? yeah, so it ends up, yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. So you can just become really, really effective at being a nasty person.
0: Okay, so if I'm an HR leader and I'm listening to this podcast and I might be thinking, okay, this all sounds quite complex. Why should I think about using this? How could I use this model effectively? What would you say?
1: Uh, A colleague of mine has got a lovely phrase for this, I think. Does the manager have the right shape in mind for the shape of the role? So when you're thinking of succession planning and talent development, you you may want to promote someone, but but are they sufficiently developed for the role? So very often coaching will be developmental and encourage some vertical growth, but it may not be expressly um, directed and informed by that developmental knowledge. So what I'm saying is, I can see, because I'm a developmental coach, there's one organisation I deal with. They have actually mapped their different levels of the organisation against a developmental framework.
0: So they've actually got roles that are aligned to developmental stages. Yeah. This, this is the developmental stage we think we need. In this role.
1: Yeah, I mean they and they, they won't they've spent a lot of money on that framework, they won't share it. But basically I can see that I am working with a guy at the moment. What the organization wants, he wants to get promoted. What the organization organization wants, they want essentially achiever and a bit of individualist. Where this person has been functioning is an expert.
0: Okay, which is lower.
1: So what they need to do is they need to be able to do certain of the capacities. We, we, we don't need, necessarily need to force his growth to Achiever, but he does need to be able to do some of these Achiever things. Yeah. So I can take a very focused approach to some de, deli, what we would call deliberately developmental practices yeah. to help him go more towards an Achiever action logic. And that actually may involve releasing some earlier stuff, (laughs) you know, so they may be getting dragged back by some, some earlier stuff. But essentially, I'm using deliberately developmental practices to help him move forward. But I'm informed by the developmental knowledge that I've got.
0: And that speaks to this expansive capacity point, the vertical development. Is that right? Because it's about expanding his capacity for complexity.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. helping him get a bigger mug. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not filling up his. I'm not helping him fill up his mug.
0: Lovely, thank you. I do like a visual metaphor. Yes, that works for me. So he's got a bigger mug rather than filling it up with more water or whatever it would be. Okay, and so what I think is really interesting and actually quite powerful from a sort of talent and succession perspective for organisations is this idea of of range. So the point here is that as an individual, I can complete an assessment. Which which I have done with you, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, which has given me an idea of my base camp, or as they kind of the term they use is my center of gravity. But I'm not stuck here. So as a coach, you're able to help me flex my stage to meet the needs of my context. So it's it's a, so good leaders won't be fixed; they will skillfully explore their range. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I'm going to adapt to my style depending on the the level of and level, it's, it's very hard not to be judgmental about these different levels because it just makes you think vertical higher is better, but it's not what we mean. If I'm coaching someone whose main logic is, action logic is expert, I'm much more likely to coach for content because they want, they really want their cup filled up. Yeah. They're a lot less interested in expanding the size of their cup, so it just depends where they are. And if they're an early expert, I'm I'm really going to struggle to grow their cup. Yes. But if they're the late expert, I can I can start to help them grow their cup. I, I would I just say that most people are spread across up to four action logics.
0: And this is that point of range, right? So although I might be an expert, I can flex up to I don't know.
1: One of the, one of the uh, people they talk about, they talk about threads. So there are threads going through. Mm-hmm. Well, depending on where you are, you may... Actually, people, this isn't going to translate for people. There's a computer game called Donkey Kong that had levels, but also creepers that went up and down. It's like you can have threads that go through, and so you might go much, much higher on one thread than another. Okay. Yeah, if that, that sort of makes sense. I think one of the things we're talking about ranges. Most of my, I'm I'm sort of firmly in in one particular level. That's where most of my sentence stem completions are. We'll we'll get on to sentence stem completions. But the range is I'm able to use my earlier action logics. I don't lose them. They're always there and they're accessible and they're useful for certain things at certain times. So I know when I need to sell, I'm not using my, well, I might use a bit of my post-conventional logics but I'm really going to use my achiever.
0: And this is coming back to your Jenga model, right? So that's if I've got that solid foundation, I can always go back and use it when I need to.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Journaling's generally quite hard to get experts to do. It's easier if you help them be much more specific. So journal about X, Y, Z. You know, these are the questions to ask. Yeah. But I'm, cur- I'm currently coaching a mid-stage achiever who's taking charge of a media business. Mm-hmm to be truly successful, there's so much going on. He can use, he needs greater perspective adeptness. You know, he needs to be able to take different perspectives than he would norm, maybe normally do. And complexity processing that might usually be available to Achiever. So I'll give you an example. It's managing polarities is something that CEOs have to do. Mm-hmm. There are paradoxes. Do I have people working in the office or do I have them working at home? Well, clearly it's neither, it's both. But mm. how do I manage that polarity? Is it two days in the office or three days? Mm. So, a specific and deliberately developmental practice would be to get him to do polarity mapping, mm-hmm. which is a process he wouldn't be used to, but it will increase his capacity for managing things that are non dual, managing these managing the polarities.
0: And that's our bigger cup as opposed to filling it. Right,
1: yeah. So we're co-opting a capability from a later stage, even he's mid-stage achiever, but we're co-opting something. And over time, that will increase. So he's climbing up that particular thread.
0: And that's your thread. Yeah, and that's, the, that's that point about range. Okay. So the other thing that I think is quite interesting about all of this is company culture. So coming back to that point about system, as we talked about earlier, what if my developmental stage doesn't actually match that of the organisational culture that I'm working within.
1: Generally, you're go- you're going to struggle. People have a, a centre of gravity, but do the organisational cultures they, they work in match that. So some companies are very diplomat-orientated, so that means it's, it's fit in and don't rock the boat. Right, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so just pa- pause there a second. So if I'm working in a diplomat-orientated culture, fit in and don't rock the boat, but my developmental stage is higher than that and i'm being more innovative or creative or you know thinking more broadly then that could cause problems right because i mean we kind of referred to this earlier but people will either see that as a as a benefit or they'll see me as getting in the way or irritating
1: hugely there's a wonderful film uh, with edward norton called uh, um, american history x right and so he's part of a, a nazi gang a white supremacist gang, but during his experience, he he leaves that value set, Mm -hmm. he moves on, but when he tries to leave them, essentially they try and kill him. (laughs) There's an extreme uh, example of what it's like when you you leave that sort of concrete ruled collective. right? Like whistleblowers in hospital setups. You know, basically, you don't rock the boat. You do not tell on a fellow medical practitioner.
0: Yeah.
1: Even though babies are dying. That's what happened in the Bristol hospital.
0: Yeah. And there's this point, isn't there, that an organisational culture is a bit like a bungee cord. So the more I try and put ahead of it, the stronger it's going to pull me back.
1: Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The harder you push the system, the harder it's going to come back. Yeah. So sometimes, and I've only... I think I've only done it twice in my coaching career, but there was one instance where I, I turned around to a coachee and I said, you are not going to get where you want to get to in this organisation. Yeah. You have to leave if you want to achieve your goal.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's quite rare. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever done that.
0: No, I don't think I have. Not At least not as overtly as that.
1: Like I said, it's, it's in 20 years, I think I've done it twice because... the." the yeah the organisational culture was such at odds with where this individual was.
0: I think I would have more of an understanding of that now because of going through this with you doing the LDP and kind of it's, it's challenging me to think differently and sort of building on the work that I would already do from a sort of systemic perspective. I, I think that's really fascinating kind of thinking not only about the individual but what is the culture they're working in, what does that fit and and how is that working? Yeah. I mean, you made the point earlier about, is it Frederick lalou's book?
1: Yeah, re- as he's got a book called he's uh, he's Belgian and he's got a book called Reinventing Organizations, which is absolutely fantastic. I love it as a book. Um, I know you've got it on your shelf and it hasn't been read yet.
0: <laughs> I'm good at that. I've got
1: those, but it's a great book. And now that you've done the LDP, I think you have a much better and you know you really get a lot of what he's saying.
0: Yeah. And what I thought was really interesting, again, about the LDP and this sort of different stages of development and having completed it myself, is it's quite different. The assessment is quite different to the other psychometrics that I've completed. I mean, I know we've done another whole podcast on psychometrics. So can you just tell the listeners briefly about this sentence stem approach?
1: Yeah, so it is actually a highly tested and validated system that all develops from the original work by a psychologist called Lovinger. But basically, you're taking a sentence then, like a good leader, and you ask people to complete the sentence. So the responses are going to vary widely. It could be, cracks the whip, you know, that's one level of meaning or realises that it's imp- a good leader realises it's important to achieve good performance from subordinates. That's another way of thinking about it. Or a good leader juggles competing forces and then takes responsibility for our decisions. Or it could be a good leader knows that the mix of leadership they need will depend on the context of the situation, the competency of their teams and what their teams are going through. So you can see there's four different perspectives, four different ways of making meaning from that. And the people that rate these tools, it takes two years to qualify to be a rater in the LDP because you've got to be able to interpret the language that's been used against a database of, you know, validated sentence stem completions.
0: That thing's fascinating. So, I mean, I can see how understanding my my leadership development developmental stage can inform my development and also help me understand why a particular role or an organisational culture isn't the right fit. And from a coaching perspective, the debrief you took me through has really prompted some new thinking and new practices for me. And it's got me thinking a little bit about how an organisation could reflect this sort of adult developmental approach to their leadership development. So it's that sort of the the glass again, the bigger bigger mug or the, the taller mug and thinking about capacity and thinking about, you know, skills and knowledge. What
1: are your thoughts? Yeah, all of those interventions, uh, to use a, you know, a phrase that would be particular to us, <laughs> there's one level that, that they really like using the phrase, well, that depends. But it's going to be some form of inquiry based experimentation.
0: Okay.
1: So we use the LDP and developmental coaches, but you would come up with an inquiry based experimentation to suit your requirement. But mm-hmm. an example you might use is Theory U. Process. from from Motosharma, mm-hmm. you know. So there's a there's a process. If you're not familiar with it, it really is about people taking their time in a joint inquiry. Yeah, they experiment and comes up with a, a new way of looking at things.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: can use the LDP within Teams, and what you're not doing there is you're not sharing individuals' profiles you're looking at the team's main action logic, say, for example, is expert, but you have some achievers. So you've got this amount of expert action logic, this amount of achiever action logic, this amount of post-conventional action logic, and then you would you would essentially team coach using that that framework. Mm. Um, but I know you like the Nick Petrie. I, I like Nick Petrie in the way he looks at it
0: so well yes yeah, So nick petrie kind of shares three ways of thinking about leadership development from a sort of vertical perspective so he talks about heat and so seeking new intense challenges colliding perspectives so this is really about that perspective adeptness that you've talked about so getting really building diverse and open networks and then the third piece is about reflection um, and you mentioned journaling earlier So it's thinking about what's working, what needs to change. I mean, there's a lot more on this than what I've just said, but just personally, as you said, I'm kind of, I'm at achiever developmental stage. And so for me, I love, I love heat and new intense challenges. And I also like, and are quite active at the moment, um, in particular around sort of building my network. But I think the piece that I'm probably need to give some more time and attention to is the reflection element. And that's something that you and I talked about when you did my debrief.
1: Yeah. And I I think, so a couple of things to say here is I think from team coaching, I think in our team coaching episode, I talked about the the thing I'm really interested in is what's the one thing you really struggle to talk about and address as a team? Yeah. That's where I want to go. I want to go to the heat because that's going to be the most developmental opportunity, the best developmental opportunity for them. Yeah. But as, and if I take you as an example, as a leader, If you had someone in your team that was an individualist action logic, you you might actually get frustrated with them Mm. because they're going to be asking why they're going to be coming up with maybe radically different ways of addressing the challenge. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You may perceive them as getting in the way of you achieving the goal.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: Because you're really focused on, well, this is what we need to do. So that's where the building practices in that allow you to really deal with the colliding perspectives. Yeah. So that's when thinking, I like yeah, that. mm. something like the bono's six thinking hats is great for that. Yeah. And it's a good language set as well.
0: Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so I'm aware that we've we've been on here a while, so we probably ought to think about wrapping up. So what what are our key takeaways or our top tips that we want to share with our listeners?
1: a good start point is definitely to read the Harvard Business Review article and I'll probably watch David Rook's video first, mm-hmm. um, show notes. I think a good start point is to take the LDP. Yeah. You know, I mean, what do, what do you think? You, you know, you've just gone through it. How do you think about it alongside other forms of psychometric?
0: Well, what I thought was really interesting is is this point that we've made earlier about agility being so key at the moment and the ability to deal with complexity. And I think the LDP offers quite a unique way of exploring that and this point about the vertical development that we've talked about this so that the debrief so when you took me through the debrief it's it's quite different from any other psychometric because it's using your language it's that inquiry it's, a, it's an inquiry that's focused on exploring my range and my development and then thinking about the context i'm in the organizational culture the shape of my role so it really gets you to think about me in the system i exist within Whereas if you compare that to something like a Hogan or any other kind of psychometric along those lines, that's much more focused on on me and increasing my own self awareness. Hogan, for example, how can I stop myself derailing? But it maybe misses that sort of systemic piece and in that inquiry element.
1: Yeah, I don't want to say it's more simplistic, but it's it's, it's not going to help you necessarily deal with the complexity. No. And that's what I like about the LDP, it's really helping people deal with complexity.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and I think my my, my last take, uh, sort of top take would be remember that, that higher or later is not necessarily beta. Yeah. You know, all of the models are built on a basis you transcend and include so you never lose your early action logics, they're still valuable. We were talking about we were talking about the examples of if I'm you know, If I'm at a later stage than suits my role, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be very good at that role because I'm going to get bored or you know, just, I'm just not going to be a good contributor. Mm. If I'm below the, the complexity, you know, if, if I'm below the level that's needed for that job role, I'm not going to do a very good job. Like I'm going to be over mm-hmm. my head. What I, what I need is I need the, the shape of mind to fit the shape of role. Yeah, and that's why it's useful for having the developmental content.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's just a really um, quite a different lens that you can apply. I found it really really insightful.
1: I'm. Uh, I think maybe we should give ourselves a pat on the back. Hopefully, that's been quite clear to people because it's so easy to get into real academic speak and, and labels and all sorts. So I'm really hoping that we've managed to do a session on developmental coaching that hasn't been overly technical or academic.
0: Or complex. <laughs> well, thanks, Greg. I've really enjoyed going through that with you. I know this is something that you're really working on and you're going through your, your accreditation at the moment. So I really value you sharing all your insight and your learning and for taking me through my own LDP as well and to be able to share it with our listeners.
1: Yeah, I am I am now qualified in use of the LDP. Brilliant, and using it quite actively with my my coaches now. And um, it's an it's a never ending journey.
0: So, if anyone's interested, they know where to go.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, cheers, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening.
1: And thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. We appreciate any feedback and we're keen to respond to any questions that are out there. Um, and I think there probably will be about this episode. Uh, any questions about using and implementing coaching in organisations, we're interested to hear about it. So please email us on info at thecoachingquestion.com. And if possible, please do give us a rating on iTunes uh, as it really helps us spread the word to a wider audience.